Now, to the married, verse 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I command. Now, remember from last week, Paul was in correspondence with the Corinthian church. They were asking him questions via letter, and he was replying to those things. And last week, verses 1 through 9, we addressed being single, uh, sexual immorality, and how to overcome that. We were looking at the relational status of people today. Now, historically, and this is something as a little bit of a context for what we're going to be looking at today. Now, in dealing with a society that was sexually overindulged, where it was rampant, promiscuity was rampant, people would come to know Jesus, and Paul was explaining to them that for you to continue in that sexual promiscuous lifestyle, sexually promiscuous lifestyle, that this was considered immorality and sin before God. And so, People thought, well, how can I overcome this type of temptation and live pure and holy before the Lord when I'm not called to be single the rest of my life? And so we understood that, that sex in the, content, uh, uh, in the confinements of marriage was ordained before God, and that was a good thing. See, there were also people that thought that because of the indulging of the sexual appetites prior to Christ that sex was a bad thing and that you were actually more holy and more spiritual if you didn't have any kind of intimate relationships at all. And so that was one of the things that Paul addressed, that if you're a husband and wife, you should not take a break from being intimate from each other for too long. And if you do take a break, that you are to do so while you're praying and while you're fasting, that you might not be tempted and go into sin. So these were huge things, and people will take it for granted. If you grew up in the church and you have somewhat of an understanding of what God's Word says about intimate relationships, you might think as this as, think of this as something that you've heard before. But for somebody that's coming out of the world, and in the world living any way you like and doing what people that don't have Christ do, there is the need for an explanation and for instruction. And so when he says now in verse 10, now to the married, he is shifting gears and no doubt moving on to the next question submitted by the Corinthian church. So is it more holy to be single? Is it more pleasing to God to be married? If you are married, is it more spiritual to not be intimate with your spouse? Remember, because of the rampant sexual promiscuity in Corinth often, even today, because of the world perverting things that God has created to be a blessing to his children, when someone becomes a Christian, they can associate certain things or activities that they were involved in before they came to Christ, and they bring them with, they bring those things and those experiences with them into their new relationship, which is supposed to be blessed by God in the covenant of marriage, and there is this lingering perversion. There is this lingering of these experiences that were wrong in their context, but were not to be considered wrong now that they're following Jesus and they're married to their spouse. 
So these are some of the questions that are being answered by Paul. And we know, in case you were wondering, is it more spiritual to be single? We know that it is not more spiritual to be single than it is to be married. And it is not more spiritual to not be intimate with your spouse than to be intimate with your spouse. Furthermore, Paul says you should have that intimacy with your husband or with your wife. And now in verse 10, point number one is married to a Christian. And this is a Christian married to another Christian. He says, now to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. Divorce is a very serious thing. And divorce takes place more often than anyone would like to see it take place. No one on their wedding day stands up there and hopes that they will one day, one day get divorced from their spouse. No, it's you, forever and ever and ever. Forever, ever? Forever, ever? Yeah, forever, ever. Until death do us part. Happily ever after. Married. Nobody stands up there thinking that one day I'm going to get divorced. But see, the question has come up in the Corinthian church regarding divorce, and now Paul will give an answer. Now, to the married is speaking to a married couple. When he says, now to the married, it's to a Christian married couple. So both the husband and the wife are followers of Jesus. This isn't a, you know, one of the, the, the members of that marriage relationship, let's just say the husband has been to church before and he's a nice person type of Christian. We're speaking of two type of individuals, or actually two individuals, a man and a woman that both follow Jesus with all of their hearts regardless of what the other person is doing. They are born-again Christians, made alive spiritually, and they have become married. So often, you'll see such problems arise where, where, where somebody will say, well, they're nice, or they're moral, or they've been to church, or they know Bible stories. And we'll get to that in, in just a moment. But in verse 10, he says, now, to the married I command, a Christian man, a Christian woman, yet not I, but the Lord, a wife is not to depart or uh, divorce her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. So, is it more spiritual for me to be single? I'm married now, but I have these responsibilities of taking care of the needs of my spouse, and I'm not free to do whatever I feel that I need to do, you know, in extracurriculars for the Lord. Or... I'm married, but maybe it's better for me to be single. My, how things can change between being single and being married. You ever noticed that? Maybe you have. See, the single person says, I am going to die if I don't get married. I can't take it anymore, man. I need to get married. And then the married person is like, I am married and I'm going to die. I can't take it anymore. My, how things have changed. And so the church is asking these questions. Is it better for me to be single? Is it better for me to be married? Where do I fit in? 
Isn't there some place in the Bible that says that I should be, you know, single again to serve the Lord? No, I don't think so. Paul says, yet not I, but the Lord commands that you should not divorce. And Paul was referencing what Jesus said. So he said, what the Lord commands in Matthew chapter 9, verses 3 through 9. You can turn there if you like, or you can just listen along. Matthew 19, verses 3 through 9, Jesus said, or actually it's recording a conversation that Jesus had, and we'll get to what Jesus said in just a second. It says, the Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And Jesus answered in verse 4 of Matthew 19 and said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. And they said to him, well, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? And he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives but from the beginning it was not so and I say to you whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery and so Paul states that the Lord has commanded that a husband and his and his wife should not separate they should not be divorced a wife is not to leave her husband and the husband is not to leave his wife and so what jesus said in matthew chapter 19 there are no longer two but one and what god has joined together let not man separate and then they said well then why in the world did moses then give us this certificate of divorce and he said moses because of the hardness of your hearts permitted you but from the beginning it was not not so that a man and a woman joined together should be divorced. Divorce came as a concession because of sexual immorality, but it's not a command. Not a command. But even if she does depart, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 11, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. Now, going through the whole counsel of God, you will go over things that are very uncomfortable and they do open up things that are very uh, hard to digest and hard to comprehend and to hard to even revisit at times. But there is hope for all of us because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. We need to be reminded in our culture, however, how binding God views marriage. And furthermore, how we as Christians should view marriage. Nowadays, it's like if we kind of hit a rough spot or, you know, I'm I just not feeling it right now, we, we file for divorce or, you know, whatever it might be. When the divorce rate is the same almost as it, in the church as it is outside the church, you know there's got to be a serious problem. If someone leaves their spouse, it says they're to remain unmarried or be reconciled to their spouse. Again, if you leave your spouse and are with someone else, that is immoral before God. You know, I've had buddies that have said, you know, she's just not supporting me in my career, and so I'm, divor I'm leaving. And divorces his wife. You know, I, you know I, I think I found my actual soulmate. I mean, I'm already married, but, you know, this is the one that I think I was really supposed to be with. Or, you know, I'm ready to move on now. And these are professing Christians, and this is wrong. 
Two Christians that are married need to work it out. Maybe you're here this morning and you're having some marital issues. And you know what? That's okay. Everybody does. Everybody has their marriage attacked by the enemy because it's meant to be a picture of Christ loving the church. And if you can break down the family dynamic, you can start trying to make your way up all the way to the top. It's perverting the image of, of God and his bride. And we need to understand as the church is, is that you will have problems. When a Christian and another Christian get married, it doesn't mean that everything is just perfect and that you don't ever have any issues. Issues will arise. And that's why Paul is addressing these things. If someone leaves their spouse, they're to remain unmarried to be reconciled to their spouse. Two Christians that are married need to work it out. If you're separating from your spouse for random reasons, which, by the way, is what Jesus was speaking to the religious leaders about regarding divorce in Matthew 19, because historically, and this is absolutely mind-blowing, the religious leaders were divorcing and permitting divorce for any small thing. She burnt my toast. We're done. I told you, if you ruin my sourdough bread anymore, this was over. This marriage is done permitted a divorce you think how ridiculous this is the stuff that history tells us was happening she didn't cook me breakfast we're done i've already unfriended you on facebook we're done she is displeasing to me we're done it's ridiculous divorce And, and just the, the collateral damage that comes when two Christians are separating one from another. It's a very hard thing. It's a very hard thing. There's a lot of pain that's involved. And like I said, you don't ever enter into a relationship, into a marital relationship, hoping that one day that it'll be over and that you'll have your heart ripped out or that someone would be unfaithful to you. You don't ever go into marriage hoping that it just shatters. No, you want to have that long-lasting relationship. You want to have that intimacy. You want to have that person in your life. You don't want to be alone. Sometimes you might lose your temper. Sometimes you might feel things that you know are wrong and you vocalize those things. But deep down inside, you know in your heart what's right because you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Because you have the Lord in your life. And so he says that should never take place. Contextually, Christians were known as homebreakers. Because what was happening is that there would be these people that would come to know the Lord and they would have a spouse that's not saved and they would divorce their spouse. And that's what leads us to point number two this morning. Point number one was a Christian married to another Christian, and now point number two is married to a non-Christian. And he says in verse 12, but to the rest. And now Paul will be shifting again focus to the next scenario, which is a Christian, when a Christian's married to a non-Christian. Now, this scenario could have come about a few different ways. Maybe there were two non-Christians and they got married, and one of them gave their life to Jesus. 
And so now you have two spouses where one is a Christian and wants to follow the Lord and the other one is not and does not want to follow the Lord. Or maybe there was a scenario where a Christian backslid and they walked away from the Lord and they married a non-Christian because that non-Christian didn't see any Jesus in that person at that point because they were so far walking, so far away from where they should be. They were in a backslidden state that they had common ground and then they get married and then all of a sudden the person that was a Christian repents, turns from their sin, realizes I need to get back in my relationship with the Lord and now I'm married to somebody that's not a Christian. Or, unfortunately, and this happens very often, and I alluded to this earlier, is that a Christian will just outright disobey God and marry someone that's not a follower of Jesus. And this is a very, very sad thing. They just go against God and they marry an unbeliever, not having any idea or any clue that it's the spiritual connection and spiritual foundation that you must lay for yourself in order to have a long-lasting relationship. Because... They might be nice. I have friends and family extended, you know, and you might, they might be in a place where they're just a nice person. They're a follower of Jesus, but the person that they want to marry is not a Christian, but they're moral or they're cool or whatever. And then you start getting emotionally involved with that person. And the next thing you know, you develop strong feelings for that person. And then next thing you're in, next thing you know, you're in a place where You marry somebody that doesn't have a personal relationship with Jesus and then down the road you start to realize how difficult that is because they're not on the same page spiritually with you and the things that you find that are very, very important for you. Your moral compass, your ethics, your lifestyle, which is based upon a biblical worldview, is not the same worldview that your spouse shares. And then you have children. And then there's the question of, do we go to soccer on Sunday mornings or do we go to church on Sunday mornings? I want to raise my child to be a follower of Jesus. No, I think he should decide if he wants to follow Jesus or Buddha. And then you start to see the long-term effects of being unequally yoked. And here we are in point number two, when a Christian marries a non-Christian, he says, but to the rest. What should I do now? This couple might be wondering. What if I want to seek the Lord and my spouse does not want to seek the Lord? Should you just divorce your unbelieving spouse and then look for a right-on Christian somewhere else? I want to follow the Lord. My spouse doesn't. I know there's other people out there that want to follow the Lord. So why don't I divorce my husband or divorce my wife and look for another right-on Christian that wants to follow the Lord? Now, you usually only discover the type of problems that you'll have marrying a non-Christian after you're married. See, beforehand... People will tell you, hey, you know, don't be unequally yoked. If they care about you or love you, if you read the Bible and you care about what God says, hey, don't, don't do it. It's not the right thing. But they're really nice. But they're really fun to be around. Man, they're so attractive. They're so hot. You know, whatever it might be. But they don't know the Lord. 
And then you marry them and then down the road you experience the problems. It doesn't matter how nice they are or how open to Christianity they may be or going to church. In 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14, Paul wrote and said, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness? Now, if you're here today and maybe this is what is called missionary dating. And I don't mean to embarrass any of you that may be doing this. I don't know any of you who are, um, unless somebody lets me know about that, and then I'll mention you by name next week. But <laughs> just kidding. Just making sure you're awake today. All right. Um, no, but missionary dating means, you know, I'm a Christian, but they're not. But if I bring them to church, maybe they'll get saved, and then we're cool. Uh, we're cool before the Lord. That's called missionary dating. It means I'm on a mission to see you come to know Jesus so that we can have our relationship sanctioned by the Most High God. And this is a very difficult thing. It's hard when you really like someone to not get emotionally involved with somebody. And if you're here today and maybe somebody has been, um, I shun that I say this word missional in that regard, and they're trying to see you come to know Jesus, this isn't about someone less or greater. It is, I mean, you're demeaned and they're uplifted because they're spiritual and you don't know Jesus. No, listen, if you're here and you've been invited by a friend to know more about who Jesus is and how he died on the cross for your sins, you are welcome here. You are welcome here at all. You don't believe in Jesus or God, you are welcome to come to our church anytime and be a part of it and hear what the Bible has to say about God and learn from the scriptures. But if you're here and you don't know Jesus and you have somebody that's inviting you to come to church so that they might uh, get you saved, so to speak, and you might, well, what am I being saved from, you know? Well, the Bible says that we were born in sin and that it's just natural for us to sin and we naturally do things that are wrong. That's called sin. And sin separates us from God. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that that sin leads to death. That's why God sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for the sins of the world, that whoever you may be and whatever you may have done, that it might be forgiven and washed away and you might be filled with the Holy Spirit, made alive spiritually, and know that if you were to die, you would go to heaven because of your faith in Jesus Christ. That is a good thing. And if you had friends or family that have brought you here to hear that, then I hope that you make that decision to put your faith in God. I don't think you'll ever regret it. If you have somebody that maybe is dating you and you're not a Christian, well, you guys need to be careful because that's going against what God says that you should be doing. And so I'd recommend that if you're dating somebody, and you may hate me for this, but you probably thank me later, is that don't date somebody that is not a Christian if you're following after Jesus. Don't do it. Okay, and I know that might just have ruined your plans right now, and you might be, I can't believe of all the Sundays that I would come to, you'd be speaking on this kind of thing. Um, I, I'm trying to tell you what God's Word says, and so that you can make an educated, prayerful decision about one of the most important things in the world, in your life, is who your spouse will be. So before uh, we digress any further... Back on task here, he says, what communion has light with darkness? Meaning, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, I don't have fellowship with somebody in that way that is not filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't have that connection. As a Christian, I need to be physically attracted to you. I need to get along with you because if you just quite frankly bother me, I probably shouldn't be in a relationship with you. And then most importantly, spiritually, I need to have that same foundation in Jesus Christ. Like, we both need to have that in order for our relationship to be strong. And I know it might sound extreme, but it's absolutely true, period. 
And you'll find that the Christian and the non-Christian are on divergent paths regardless of how many interests they share or the amount of affection they have for one another. But say that you're in that position for one reason or another, what do you do? I am married to a non-Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. He says, but to the rest, not the Lord. I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. So you can and should maintain your marriage regardless of your spouse's spirituality. Because this will have everything to do with you as the believer and nothing to do with them. You might think, well, how is it not on them? No, this is talking to you as a Christian married to an unbeliever. What do you do? What do you do? And yes, granted, this is a hard thing to implement for a host of reasons, but it is is the right thing before God to do. If you have a wife that is a non-believer but wants to continue to be married to you, then you should not divorce her. Ladies, if you have a husband that is not a Christian and he wants to continue to be married to you, then you should not divorce him. You maintain your marriage and do your very best to make sure it stays intact. See, you as the Christian spouse are an example, a witness to the unbelieving spouse. You show them what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I mean, we've, I've seen, I know people that where one spouse got saved, things started changing. You know, you start to see these wives that are praying for their husbands and reading the Bible and all of a sudden, you know, something's just changed with them and The husband wants that too and he gives his life to the Lord. And the same thing, vice versa, with men that have prayed for their wives and have stepped up and been spiritual leaders where the Lord has ministered to their wife. God can work in a marriage where one is a Christian and the other is an unbeliever. Now, in verse 14 is where it gets interesting, I say. It says, For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband, otherwise your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. What does that mean? Well, let me explain. Sanctified, as you know, should pop up this couple of words, set apart. Set apart from what? Set apart from the world. It's a term used for the Christian when he comes to know Jesus, he's set apart from the ways of the world. The word sanctify here, excuse me, the word sanctify here is not in reference to or stating that someone can have a vicarious relationship with Jesus Christ through their spouse. This is not what it is saying. Okay, it is not saying that well, my, my, my wife is a follower of Jesus so that I'm cool. No, you need your own relationship with the Lord. What this is saying is that the spouse who does not believe, who is married to a Christian, has a very unique situation in life that is set apart from the general unbeliever in the fact that he or she is living with a Christian. A follower of Jesus, a born-again, made-alive spiritual spouse 
And this spouse is married to a Christian who is praying for him and is living with him. I mean, what a mission field to have a spouse that doesn't know Jesus. What a tremendous opportunity for that person to come to know the Lord. And there is a place where the believer dwells, that place where the believer, the follower of Jesus dwells, that home is where a special work that the Lord will do. The follower of Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's working in them and through them. So why should a Christian try to keep their marriage with their non-Christian spouse together? Because the Lord can do a very special work in the life of the unbelieving spouse. So often it's like this person is just doing the things I don't want to be a part of. And yes, that is terrible. Yes, that is difficult. Yes, that is stretching. Yes, that is draining. But we've become accustomed to taking the easy way out. Find the path of least resistance. It's the natural thing to do. Or do we stick it in there and hang in there and stick it in and be like, I am not going to go anywhere. I'm going to stay put. I committed myself to God to be committed to you. I'm going to work through this. And am I saying that that's easy? No. Am I saying that that is probably one of the most difficult things you've ever experienced in your entire life? Yeah, probably it is. Very hard. Am I saying that I personally don't even understand how hard it is for you? Yes, I'll admit that. But I do know God knows I do know God feels, and he knows exactly what you're going through, and he knows everything that you're feeling, and he knows all of the struggles, and he knows every single thing, and he is your present help in your time of need. But what about the children? What about the kids? It is such a blessing when there is one parent that loves the Lord and is influencing their children in the ways of the Lord. You stay together and you're there praying for your spouse and you're there for your children because now you're starting to see the collateral damage of what happens when families break up. You're starting to see the emotional tension and you're starting to see the stress. And exp- Even at a young, young age, children are experiencing these things. A Christian parent is a covering for their children according to this passage in the Bible. With a parent that has faith in Jesus, the Christian are holy, the uh, uh, the children are holy before the Lord. Now there is an age of accountability where a child must make their own decisions to receive or reject Jesus. But for this study today, we see that the children that have a Christian parent are set apart before the Lord. So you... As the Christian spouse and the Christian parent have a tremendous now opportunity to not only influence your spouse, but to influence and cover your children, your kids. We need to understand that marriage is ordained by God and he's brought two people together. And it's not always tiptoeing through the tulips and your honeymoon stage ends very soon. What happens when you, know, you get through the, the, the realities of life and the difficulties of, uh, uh, and pressures of, uh, of work and, and provision and health and 
what do you do then? How does the Christian last? How is the Christian different than anybody else in this world? It's because you have the power of the Holy Spirit of Almighty God in your life. In your life. But it says in verse 15, if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such, case, in such cases, but God has called us to peace. So if your unbelieving spouse divorces you, then you as a Christian are not obligated or in bondage to that relationship, and you, in fact, are free to remarry. But listen, if today maybe you would say, you know what, I've made mistakes in my past, and I have done things that are wrong. I, I recognize that. And now I'm married to somebody else and I've divorced somebody in the past. This is really uncomfortable for me to hear these things because it's like reopening wounds. Listen to me. The Bible tells us that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That the old things have passed away and all has been made new. You don't need to divorce your current spouse and go remarry your old spouse. That's doubly wrong. This is not what he's saying here. This is going all the way back to square one and starting off with the foundations for holiness before the Lord as a single person. How do I conduct my life properly? How do I live in, the, in, in this covenant of marriage? And how do I have intimacy that's ordained by God with my husband or with my wife? Yes. What happens if I'm married to another Christian? Is it better for me to not be involved physically or is it better for me just to be completely separated from my, from my spouse? Is that more holy before the Lord? I'm hoping that we'd all say, no, God has brought you two together and he has made you a team. You are now one and it is not good that you should be alone and that's why God created a helper for you. And you're together. If you're in a place and maybe one of your, your spouse, he's, he's walked away from the Lord or he or she is not a Christian and you're having a hard time and you're seeing the effects on your children. What do you do? Is there hope? The answer is yes. Paul leaves the unequally yoked couple with hope for their marriage in verse 16. He says, you know, in the following on the hills of stay together, fight for your marriage, pray for each other, be that example, be that covering for your children. He says, for how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, oh husband, whether you will save your wife? There's hope for your marriage. The Lord can use you to reach your husband the way nobody else could, to reach your wife the way nobody else could reach you. Wives, there's hope for your husband. Husbands, there's hope for your wives. I guarantee that you may not see it, but don't underestimate the power of God in your marriage. Don't under underestimate it. Don't underestimate it. And finally, as we conclude in verse 17, he says, but as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. God has given to each of us, to each of you, that which you need to do what he has called you to do. In every situation, God has given his followers every single thing that they need to do what he has called them to do. So walk in the will and fulfill the calling of the Lord on your life. Be in the center of his perfect will. Be the man, be the woman, be the single person, be the married person that God has created you to be. Don't seek to change the past, but rather do what you can do now in the present as you prepare 
your future for following the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. If you made mistakes in your past and you've become a Christian or you've confessed those things to the Lord and repented from those things, move forward. Move forward. Move forward. The Lord is a gracious God. But we do not continue in sin that God's graciousness should abound. We don't, we don't continue in and say, oh, I'm going to make this decision to do what is against God because I know God will forgive me later. That's wrong. Don't do it. You're setting yourself up for a long, long road of heartache. Don't do it. God's plan for relationships is the best plan for relationships. And so hold fast to that. Let this book be your guide and may you find that every single word in it is true as it applies to your life. And next week, we'll have part three of our series entitled Relationship Status. And that concludes our study for this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, for this time that we have today. In going through the whole counsel of your word. This is the whole counsel of God. And Lord, we're a very mixed group. We come from different backgrounds, different life experiences. But one thing remains the same is, Lord, we are lost without you. Lord, we need you. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of your glory. And Lord, we ask, God, that you would help us to be pure and holy before you. Lord, if we've made mistakes in our relationships, then we ask that you would forgive us of those things and help us to move forward in being who we're supposed to be now and preparing for the future. Lord, I ask God for those that might be feeling lonely as a single person, thinking they're going to die or whatever it might be, may they, Lord, be comforted today knowing that if they exist, their spouse exists somewhere. And Lord, until they meet, until the point in time, I ask, God, that you give them grace, sustain them, and minister to them, and may they not lose hope. Lord, if somebody is here today and they're married and they're going through a difficult time for one reason or another, Lord, I ask that you would help them as Satan would seek to kill their marriage, destroy their witness. I ask, God, that you would give them grace today and that they would find a renewed sense of your presence, a renewed love for you, And from that relationship with you, Lord, may that supernatural love flow to their spouse. Lord, we pray for those that have spouses, even right now, that do not know you. Lord, maybe they're at home right now. Maybe they're doing something else. But, Lord, you know them, you love them, you created them, and you desire, Lord, to have a personal relationship with them. And so we pray for the spouses, Lord, that do not know you, that they would come to know you. You know them by name. And so, Lord, we lift them up to you right now and we ask in the name of Jesus that wherever they're at, whatever they're doing this very moment, that you would begin that work in their heart. And so, Lord, we also just pray for our marriages in general here in this church. Strengthen the marriages. Strengthen the families. Lord, cover the children. Protect them. Help them. And Lord, we ask that you would help our families, Lord, as we have been brought together in this church to be families that seek you first, your kingdom, your righteousness, knowing that all these other things shall be added unto us. And so, Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness. We thank you for new beginnings. 
We thank you for grace. We thank you for hope. And we thank you for your unfailing love. And Lord, we ask all of these things and commit our needs to you now. In the name of Jesus, amen.